You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. We have such a good episode for you today. I'm sitting down again with Mark LaFleur. Mark is a second time guest on the Visionary Life podcast. In our first episode, we talked all about his successful startup, True Local, who I was a subscriber of. They do meat deliveries to your doorstep. And since I last spoke with Mark, it was about two years ago since our last conversation, True Local was successfully acquired for $16.7 million. Can we just give a round of applause to Mark for such an incredible accomplishment? And I love the story he shares about how the acquisition happened, how it was New Year's Eve and they were waiting for a phone call and he really wanted it to happen before January 1st. And it basically comes down to the wire. Like my heart was thumping as he was telling us this story. So we dive into the whole acquisition process. We talk about Mark's philosophy for success. We talk about his new passions and what he's been up to since the acquisition. And he's also got a brand new book out true founder. So I'm going to add the links to the show notes so that you can go grab a copy. If you vibe with Mark, if you love his storytelling, if you want some practical tips and some really epic stories that are going to make you a more resilient entrepreneur, you must grab a copy of his book. I am loving reading through it. It's honestly so cool. And just even the story that he shares in this podcast about how the book deal landed up in his lap is really, really cool. So this is a conversation about high performance. This is a conversation about what it takes to be an entrepreneur who can build a company and sell it successfully and all the things that he's been up to since the deal closed. So enjoy this one with Mark LaFleur and I will see you on the other side. Hey, visionaries, I'm popping in super quick before we get into the interview with Mark to let you know that this is the very, very, very last call to get yourself inside of your 2023 leap. We have 14 amazing students. We have photographers, naturopathic doctors. We have coaches. We have consultants. We have nutritionists, well-being professionals who are ready to up-level super big. We have a clinic owner going from half a million in revenue to a million in revenue. We have a photographer who's ready to redefine find her niche and use search engine optimization and a social media strategy to go big. We have moms who are running nutrition businesses from home who are looking to double their income in the next few months. They're looking to finally reduce the overwhelm with their marketing strategy. So we did our onboarding call last Wednesday, but it's not too late because we can send you the recording and get you right up to speed. So if you're not familiar, your 2023 leap is the highly anticipated live 90 day group coaching program from myself and Emily Elliott. This is a marketing and a mindset program. We're using the MVP model. So mindset plus visibility equals profitability MVP. It's so epic already. You should see the conversations happening behind the scenes in our Slack channel. Everyone's sharing their homework from week one. And I just really want to make sure that you get yourself inside. We can chat about payment. We can get you onboarded super quickly. So head to KelseyRidal.com slash 2023 or send me a really quick DM on Instagram. I'm at Kelsey Rydell. I have a couple discovery calls booked for today and we'll be onboarding the last set of the crew who wants to up level in 2023. So again, just head to KelseyRidell.com slash 2023. Send me a DM on Instagram and we'll see you inside the program. 
Mark, welcome back to the Visionary Life Podcast. We actually recorded our first episode back in April 2020. So it's just so funny thinking back to that time, start of the pandemic. I remember vividly that you were actually supposed to come to our recording studio in the West End of Toronto. And then at the end of March, I was like, what am I doing with all my podcast recordings? I guess we're going on Zoom. And so anyways, we had a great conversation. We talked about how True Local came to be. We talked about advice for new entrepreneurs, really navigating those first few years. But today's conversation is going to be a little bit different because since that original conversation, you got married, you wrote a book, you found a passion for race cars, and you are officially done your time at True Local. So I guess my first question is, how do you feel? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, all of the things you just described feel like an entire lifetime ago, but at the same time, they feel like just yesterday. Like I still feel like we're still in the trenches of true local trying to, you know, jump from trade show to trade show and gym to gym. Um, like, I feel great. Like what, like how else can I, you know, describe it? We just, we sold true local, you know, it was an amazing win. It, it, it gave the team and, you know, myself and the family, you know, an opportunity that we never could have even imagined. And now I get to drive race cars and write a book, you know, life's good. I feel like if you're in a situation like this and you're wanting anything more, you just don't appreciate, you know, you got to have some gratefulness into where you're at. Mm -hmm. What was the feeling of having the acquisition go through? Like, were you just <laughs> ecstatic? Was it stressful? Was the whole journey worth it? Like, can you just describe a bit because you guys were acquired for something like 16 million dollars i can just imagine like seeing all your hard work that idea that hit you many many years ago has now grown into this massive empire that just got acquired so what were your like feelings or yeah what was going through your head at that moment yeah, it was a roller coaster. So like, even just like, you got to get some context on like how it all came about to understand the moment. Um, you know, we went through almost like 10 months of back and forth with the acquisition process, just from the moment that we were, you know, soliciting LOIs from different acquirers all the way through to due diligence. And um, by the time it came down to like the last month, it was almost falling apart every single day. Like literally wow. every single day was, okay, we've done so much work to get to this point and there could be an issue you know maybe it was uh exclusivity was expiring so for people that are selling their companies once you go through a process of saying yes you know we're going to accept your term sheet or your loi or we're doing this you typically enter this exclusivity period which is really convenient for acquirers because mm -hmm. it means that okay we're doing this you can no longer shop this deal it makes sense from the idea that they're about to spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars doing due diligence on the business. Um, but from the founder and the business perspective, it's kind of like, okay, now we've given up all of our cards, all of the leverage, and that's where a lot of these deals fall apart. So we were getting near the end and like every single day, it was like an argument every single day. It was, this needed to be renegotiated. That needed to be renegotiated. And it wasn't that there was any uh, bad blood during any of it. It was just the nature of so many documents need to get signed. So many uh, pieces of data need to be sent over. So many approvals need to be dealt with, you know, even just getting all of the shareholders together to sign this over is this crazy thing. And of course we were doing it over the holidays mm -hmm. so by the time we got to you know i don't know the 23rd it was now okay this is looks like it's going through but we need bank signatures and we need the accountants to sign off on it and we need all of these high-ranking individuals like even ww right so we had to deal with weight watchers and just the way that the contract was set up because we had a multi-year deal with weight watchers um if there was ever a change of control which when you're doing these deals with these other companies, you don't think that this is ever going to be something that comes up, but yeah. it does. And because there's a contract, they need approvals, but good luck trying to get, you know, the head of WW Canada to sign a legal document over the holidays, let alone the banks. So it was like, so, so, so tight wrap right down to the wire. And it's crazy because now you're staring down the barrel of everything you've ever wanted. Like for me personally, selling true local or selling my first business, you know, before the age of 30 was the goal that I had set out from the age of, I don't know, like 20. I was wow. like, okay, I want to have a company be acquired by the age of 30. And to be so close after not only the journey of building True Local, which was, we did D2C food, right? Like 
the most competitive, yeah. difficult <laughs> space you could possibly get into. And we somehow survived. We somehow thrived and survived all of those bullets that were being sent our way to then get to that final boss battle of, okay, yep, we're going to do this acquisition, going through all of those motions and then being right at the finish line and potentially watching it fall apart. It was insane, like from an uh, emotional roller coaster standpoint. So I'll never forget, we finally, every day we're inching forward, inching forward, inching forward. And the deal had to close in 2020 because from our perspective with what was happening with the pandemic, there were whispers that there was going to be changes in capital gains tax coming in in 2021. Now that never happened, but the idea that they were going to raise capital gains, um, that would have had a huge impact on what everybody ended up taking home from the deal. So it was, we're doing this in 2020 or we're not doing it at all. And it got to the, the December 30th and we finally felt we're like, okay, we feel good. We've got the signatures, we've got X, Y, Z. And I get a call uh, from our lawyers and there was this one thing that we were missing. And it was like, we don't even, like this might not happen. Like this might, because this came down to the wire. So mm -hmm. December 31st, we wake up and we're like, this is the day. Like if it doesn't happen today, all of this has been for nothing. Or at the end of the day, we might be millionaires. So like, what is this going to be? So it got to the point where the day, and you're not really talking directly with your acquirer at this point. It's your lawyers talking to their lawyers, kind of coming back to you. Um, and uh, nine o'clock came around and me and Irma, so we were, so my wife Irma, um, we were like, got, had just gotten to the point where we're like, you know what? Like, just like, screw it. Like, let's just go for dinner. Like it's, it's New Year's. Let's just go for dinner. Whatever happens, happens. We can deal with it after the fact. But let's just go because we don't know what's going on. And uh, so we were in Vancouver at the time. And this is actually when they had the, like, they were, because the pandemic was happening, they were shutting down restaurants at, like, some stupid hour and not serving booze. And we had to get, our, our Uber driver had, was selling beers out of the back of his, his Uber. So that was awesome. Very entrepreneurial. Love that guy. <laughs> Yeah. So, so we're at the restaurant and I get a text from my lawyer being like, yo, can you hop on a call in 30 minutes? So, you know, me and Irma look at each other. We're all dressed up. Cause we're like, you know what? Like we don't yeah. even care. We're just going to have fun tonight. Um, and of course we deeply cared. Uh, <laughs> so we uh, were like, okay, let's go back. And this could have been either we're selling the company, uh, the deal's closing or it's, it's not happening. So we get back and we actually have the video of this, but we get back and we're in this like awesome apartment in Vancouver and it's 9 PM. So like, or maybe 8 PM Vancouver time. So like 11 uh, Eastern time and the deal has to close in Eastern time. Yeah. And the lawyer picks up the phone. We're on the phone. He's like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm patching you in with, you know, the CFO from the company. And just immediately we knew like it was going through and it was just like this super surreal moment because it's so intense and it's so wild but it's also so anticlimactic because it's like okay do you all agree everything's good do you yeah. want to close mm -hmm. uh yeah we're good let's close um <laughs> and then okay everyone have a great new year's and you hang up the phone and you're like a multi-millionaire and you're like wait what just happened so it was like it was so crazy um that moment because so much had built up to it and during that time, I didn't actually tell my mom. I didn't tell anybody. I think I told my best friend, um, Jordan. Uh, he was the only one. I didn't tell any of my other friends um, what was going on because it was like literally like such a long period of time. So yep. on New Year's, I called, picked up the phone, called my mom and she thought I was calling. She's like, oh, you're early. And I'm like, yo, got a surprise to tell you. And I was like, you know how we've been trying to sell True Local. Yeah. And she's like burst into tears. She's like, oh my God, like what happened? And didn't know the amount and all this. So it was just such an amazing experience. But to be honest, so that was like the actual moment, like living in the moment and what was going on that night. And it was just me and Irma. Like literally, it was just me and her in the apartment. And we were yeah. just kind of like, it was so emotional. It was so surreal. But it's crazy because people always ask, you know, what what came out of it? You know, what what was the overall feeling? And I think for me, I've been dreaming and fantasizing of that moment for so long. Like it was what I existed for. Like it was my yeah. purpose. It was everything we ever wanted was put into this moment. Um, just, you know, we, we didn't come from a lot and, you know, finance, like financial freedom is a huge motivator for us. So it was like, I thought about that moment so many times and I felt so confident that we were going to get there that it wasn't like this big surprise. It wasn't like mm. this, like, Oh my God. Like it was kind of almost just like, 
okay, you know, it's about time. Like, okay, well, we knew it was going to happen. And now it's like, you know, we had this confidence, like we just kind of lived up to the expectation that we had set for ourselves. But what mm-hmm. did come out of it, the the thing that I found the most valuable was that even though going through true local, like when you, any founder, you got to have a certain level of confidence. You know, there's mm-hmm. different ways to um, showcase that and express that. But at the end of the day, you feel like you can do it better than other people. You feel like you're the one. You feel that you're able to rally a team. You feel that you're able to manage it. Like you have a certain ego and you have a certain level of confidence. But no matter how confident you are, deep down though, you still are kind of like, can we do it? Like Mm -hmm. deep, deep, deep down. And with True Local, we were so against the grain. Like we did direct to consumer food with no VC funding. We were told that we were doing things wrong so many different times, but- the things that we did always felt right. Like to me, they always felt like, okay, this is how we have to do it. You know, it's, it's all about the team and it sounds cheesy and cliche, but we were the ones who did it with that narrative. You know, a lot of businesses are like, well, we have the best customer service or we have the best team and they either end up staying really, really small or they're just giant corporations who say it, but don't live it. Like we are in that sweet spot of, we built an amazing team. We took care of our customers. Our customers took care of us and we Mm -hmm. made it happen. So the part of it that I think the acquisition made was that it was a validation that we were right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, so many times you look back, like I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. But when you get that final win, you're like, nothing could have been done differently and nothing should have been done differently. Like every single thing, even the mistakes you made along the way, they ended up leading you to exactly where you wanted to go. And that gives you this like last little tick of confidence. You need to just trust your gut indefinitely for everything. And I think that's the power of, chasing after like a giant goal, you know, the money's awesome, you know, not to get it twisted and the experiences are great, but now like you unlock a part of yourself that if you didn't achieve something so great, you probably wouldn't have unlocked. And then, then it's the interesting journey of who do you become now with, with that new, you know, that new personality trait or whatever it looks like. So yeah, it was wow. a hell of an experience. I mean, there's so much that I could pick apart there, but a couple <laughs> things that really jump out to me. I love you said something around the fact that like when the acquisition happened, you just felt like, yeah, like I knew it was coming eventually. And it almost reminds me of how professional athletes like visualize their gold medal game or people who have a big goal or dream like they just like embody and feel what they want so often that sometimes when it actually happens, it's like, of course, like I've been thinking about this moment. I've been writing about it. I've been dreaming about it, that it just feels right. So I think there's something to be said for sitting in that energy, even if it seems like a big lofty goal of like, how am I going to sell a company for 10 million? Sit in that energy. Think about it. It will happen. Like what's that moment going to be like? So that was one thing I love that you shared. Another thing too, is like, it's interesting hearing you say, all I ever wanted was to have my company acquired by the time I was 30. So did you feel any emptiness or like, what do I do now? Because you reached the pinnacle of what you wanted But then I would imagine you're kind of left thinking, well, I'm a driven person. What's this next chapter going to be? And like, how soon do I move on to the next thing? For sure. Like, I guess on the first point, I've been the number one person to say that founders are the professional athletes of the business world. And I I think that that they don't get enough credit for that. Um, When you look at an athlete, it's the exact same thing. A professional athlete is at that pinnacle. They're not just playing the game. They're, they're, They're not just playing the role they're actually living that role when you look at business you know the ones that are out there building their businesses the ones that have built revenue built profit built teams what else do we call it like you're the professional at doing that so you're the pro athletes of the of the business world in my opinion um and you know even as far to take a stretch to say like it is physical you know like in my like to me when you're going after a challenge like this in business you actually need to be mentally and physically stable and in a good place otherwise you just can't perform so there's you know that part of it um and then the uh i guess sort of looking at the second part is yeah you know that I'm a huge believer that look, you look at all these kids that go through these like quarter life crises now, right? Like you, you used to be the, the, the midlife crisis, you go buy a convertible Corvette and you know, you're like, okay, you're reliving the days that you wanted to, but now you've got kids that graduate university and like, they're absolutely distraught. Like they are, there's so much pressure. What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be going? And part of it is just because 
for their entire lives, they've been told, what are you doing? What are you going to do? And then, which is ridiculous because how can you ask someone who's lived one quarter of their life, what they want to do with their lives. And then on the flip side, you know, access to information, right? Like now you see all of the different opportunities that exist in the world. And before when it was, okay, you only have access to the opportunities in your town or maybe your country, or maybe your social circle, like, you know, a bricklayer, so you know that business model exists, or maybe you were lucky to find a magazine hanging around that showed you that, oh my God, like management consulting, hmm, what's that? Now you go online and people aren't even looking up industries, they're looking up how to make a million dollars. And then they get all of these different business models to choose from. So I, I struggled with that a lot. And I talk about it actually in the book. And the whole thing is, in my opinion, it's about finding your purpose, right? So what is it that you want to exist for? But the thing is that it doesn't have to be your life's purpose. Like you don't need a life's purpose. Like you should have something that is long enough so that you can actually work up to it because whatever your goal is, it's going to take longer than you think. So, you know, to have a six month purpose is it, it's more of a goal. Um, but like, even two years, two to five years to find something that you are willing to give everything to, that to me is what builds character and going after it, whether you succeed or fail. But for me, that's what I realized early on. I was like, I don't know what I want to do at 40. I don't know what I want to do at 50. I don't know who I want to be, but I do know more than anything in this world, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. Just it was, it was, it just was what it was. You know, mm-hmm. there are people that are going to want to uh, be a doctor. There are people who are going to want to be the ultimate tennis player. There are people who are going to want to be the ultimate father or brother, you know? So that is a long-term vision you can chase after, but it doesn't have to be your entire life. So for me, I had always made the promise that, okay, my goal right now is to, you know, do this by the time I'm 30. And once I reach 30, I'm going to take a blank slate. You know, Hmm. I'm not going to assume that I just want to continue on with this, you know, pursuit of business or anything like that. It probably will be the case, but I'm going to go ahead and take it and reassess and say, okay, I have no purpose now. If I could choose today, what I want to do, do I have enough clarity in my life that I know what I want to do for the next 20 or 30 years or who I want to become? If so, I'm going to go ahead and gun for that. If like the majority of the population, I don't know, then no problem. Let's do like a five or a 10 year goal and Mm -hmm channel all of our energy into that. So that, that was kind of it. And it, it definitely is another thing too. So for anybody who ever gets to this point, it, it's never the end, right? Like no. I think of what Kanye West said it and he's like, you know, not having money, having money isn't everything, but not having it is mm-hmm. like when you're chasing that check in any form, whether it's a career or a big windfall, um, money is everything because you can't think a week or a month or a quarter ahead because you got to put, you know, pay the bills. Um, once you get the money, you realize that it actually just opens up a new set of of problems, the whole more money, more problems, but not in the way people think. Um, I've been fortunate. I never had to deal with any of that, like drama. Like my family's really close. My friend, I have a very small group of friends. Um, so I never had to deal with that, but the question does come up. What do you do when you can do anything? And that's existential that, that becomes like, oh shit. Like, what do I want to do? Oh my God, I could do anything. What do you do? And once again, circling back to the point of when you don't have, when you have to take the opportunities that are in front of you, really, you just got to kind of, you know, turn water into wine in the sense that, okay, um, I only have three options. So I got to make one of these work. And that typically is what most people's career trajectory or entrepreneur journey looks like. They're like, there's an opportunity in front of me, whether I love it or don't, this is what I got. But the tables turn a lot when it's like, I can go into anything with any people. And now you're like, Oh, wow. It, it really forces you to think about what matters. And it, it forces you to think about from, from a first principles perspective, what do you yes. want over the next few years of your life? Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting, like that could be a journaling prompt that everybody just sits down takes five minutes. Like, what would I do if I could do anything? And it helps to just tap into a part of your brain that we don't normally give ourselves permission to because there's always a to-do list in front of us there's always these constraints and they're usually imaginary that's like well I just have to live in this house forever because I bought it I just have to stay in my industry as an investment banker 
because that's what I went to school for. But it's like, no, no, no. Like we put those constraints around. And I know one of the things that you actually decided to embark on was writing a book. And you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times. And I've read the first chapter and there's so many like fun stories about your journey as a founder. And I love what you even said about needing to be physically strong as a founder and mentally strong. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's like, if I am strong in my mind and strong in my body, my business is usually very strong and performing. And you even have this uh, story where one night in the middle of the night, you found out your freezers weren't working and you had to haul like hundreds and hundreds of boxes of meat. It's like you did need to be physically strong in that moment. So there's certainly some synergies between being strong physically and like running a successful ship. <laughs> For sure. Like, you know, I think once again, if you look at the idea of being a successful founder, you're talking like five years, you know, once again, there's outliers, some people are very fortunate, or they just work really, really hard in a really, really smart way. And they get to where they want to go in one or two years. But most of the time, if you're not ready to strap in for five years, you're in trouble. And the challenges that you deal with every single day that you can never forecast or never foresee, like you're just getting punched in the face every single day. So kind of came to the point where you kind of needed you need to be the best version of yourself to take yeah. these challenges on at the level in which you need to take them on because you never forget it's not even like you're just dealing with the forces that are trying to take your business down which are a lot like whether and, and all of those forces are pointed towards you as a business even though they're all separate because they're all standing in your way they're all channeled towards you then you've got the internal things to deal with how do you manage the growth of the business um, or the growth of the team with the growth of the business and it forces you nonstop to kind of be on your toes and and just be very, very, very um, mental. Like it's a, it's a huge strain mentally. Yeah. And what I've just found is that if I'm not feeling good physically, you know, I, I don't feel like I can perform mentally. So that's where that came from. And then, yes, of course, like just literally, you know, we're in a business that had a warehousing. So we had to move all of these boxes. <laughs> uh, so that helped. That helped a lot of it as well. But that, yeah, that's a wild. That was a crazy, crazy time. And I know you recount a lot of these stories and the lessons learned in the book. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about why you decided to write a book and what True Founder is all about? Yeah, so super crazy story. Um, I had no plans on ever writing a book. I never okay. thought about it. It just wasn't something that was on my radar. I'm an avid note taker. I take a ridiculous amount of notes. Um, and I actually have a funny story about the audiobook um, that actually Irma pointed out, but so long story short, after the company sold, I, uh, I was going through my junk mail and this is probably like February, uh, and we sold the company in December. Um, and there was like a message from Forbes. And of course, you know, if you're, if you're doing things, you get all these like spammy Forbes messages all the time. Companies being like, we can get you listed in Forbes and this, this, that, that. So they just use Forbes as a tag tagline, but for whatever reason, whatever their subject was, I just, I clicked on it and I saw that it actually came from a Forbes email. And it was, you know, this, this person saying, Hey, listen, you know, we, I don't know if you know, but Forbes has a publishing division. We publish about 60 authors a year. Mm. You know, you've got an interesting story. Why don't we have a conversation? So went through that whole process. Um, and they convinced me, listen, this is a great opportunity. Yeah. And after kind of thinking about it, I was like, look, I'm, I've got two years that I'm under contract with true local to help oversee the transition where I can't start something new. Yeah. This could be the thing that I get to sort of pour my energy into nights and weekends that is just something new and tides, you know, tides mm -hmm. the time sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, wrote the book and ironically it took about a year and a, a year and a half, like to a year, maybe like 14 months, 14 to 16 months, give or take. Um, and most of that happened on the back half of it, because the first part when it comes to writing a book is the most difficult of what is this book? What even is this? Yeah. Like, what are we even doing? What are we writing? And of course it started off where let me just tell my story and let me just go ahead yeah. and explain, you know, my life. Like at the end of the day, I was still like a 30 year old black founder who grew up with no money and somehow created this, you know, meat empire in Canada. Right. So, okay. <laughs> somewhat interesting, but it hit me really hard two ways. One, look, I'm, I'm 30. My story is nowhere near being done. If anything, true local was kind of the beginning. Um, yeah. It was sort of the training wheels for where I want to go and what I want to do. So what am I doing trying to recount my story when we're still in like chapter three of 10? So that happened. And then as I was writing, I really wanted to resonate with, you know, the younger me. So someone that's starting a business really has given it their all. They're in the trenches. They're working with their friends or their early employees. 
And uh, so I wanted to tie learnings into the stories that I was giving. But the problem was that every single story and every single lesson, and I think this happens with most people, I didn't realize the learnings at the time. I only realized yeah. why these things happened later on. And I just do not have the skills as a writer or a storyteller to somehow weave those in together. Yeah. Um, so I'll be like telling a story about, you know, how I was this like young fat kid in high school with no friends, but I found football and, you know, at the time it was the only thing I had and blah, blah, blah. But how do I tie that back now to how important it is to have a purpose? I didn't know that back then. So scrap that completely. And then I was like, look, I'm just going to do a guide. Like I want to do an actual tangible business book. I'm going to yeah. take all the things that I've learned that I think someone looking to build a company sub $20 million uh, might need. And that's what it's going to be. And then it was, okay, I went back through my notes and was looking to see, okay, what are the interesting facts? Like, what are the, the things that I learned by doing that I think are contradictory to what you'll find on mm -hmm. LinkedIn or find from a business coach? And that immediately made everything so much simpler because it all just became the chapters of the book. So yeah. all these different learnings became chapters of the book and the book became every chapter was this like insight or this learning or this experience that helped me become a better founder. And a lot of it is counter to what is typically out there and what is being taught, you know, by MBAs or whatever it might be. So once that came together, um, it became very obvious that this book was for first time founders like that, that became so clear. And it was a struggle also, because as I was writing it initially, I was thinking about people I want to work with in the future. So people that I consider to be ahead of me. So whether that be private equity, whether that be venture capital, whether that be future founders, whether that be, um, you know, anything that that might be, then I was thinking about my peers, like the people that I'm like, okay, I'm in the trenches with these types of people, other founders. And then I was thinking about the people mm -hmm. that were looking up to what I've done and saying, okay, well, how did he do it? And you can't be everything to all those people because the yeah. things that I'm saying to these people that I aspire to be one day is very different and much more complicated and detailed than the things that I would say to someone who's just looking to incorporate their company or looking yeah. to hire their first employees, which is also very different than the conversations that we have like, bro, yeah, you're telling me about these new HR yeah. rules or whatever to my peers, right? Mm -hmm. So it became really clear early on, why am I talking to the people that I wanted to work with? I haven't experienced that yet. What am I, I'm not trying to impress them. And yeah. in terms of my peers, people that are already there, it's like, you know what, you, you're on your, you're, you're doing your thing and we're at the same level. I can't really coach or advise people that are at the same level as me. I can just share yeah. experiences. But what I could do is younger Mark, like 25 year old Mark, giving mm -hmm. it all up to go chase this business. You know, that person, I know exactly what you're about to go through. I know yeah. exactly the things that you don't know exist yet. And here's how I dealt with them. So the book really became exclusive to first-time founders. And when I say first-time founders, it, it really ends up being anybody who hasn't gone through their first major win. Like if you haven't yeah. gone through your first acquisition, I don't care if you've gone through four businesses and now mm -hmm. this is your, you're still a first-time founder in a good way. Like you're still, you're chasing that, you're hustling that dream. You, you're yeah. getting on the way to making it. And um, that's what ended up happening with the book. That's like all of it. And it's everything from, the thing that I think, once again, like, what is the most important thing a founder can have? I've seen it so many times. And, you know, if you read the first chapter, it's like, well, I, I'm a CTO and I do this role or I'm a CEO and all this stuff. It's like, man, listen, you're none of those. You're, you're a problem solver. That's yeah. it. Like, you're a professional problem solver. That's what you got to focus on when it comes to, you know, hiring people. People struggle with this all the time. When do I hire? Who do I hire? I read in this book I should hire for two years, uh, you know, where I want to be. And that's horrible advice. Do not hire two years in advance because you'll yeah. never get to that point if you hire people that are going to be operating at a level of where your business would be in two years rather than what you need today. So should you hire friends? Everyone says not to hire friends, but we had an amazing experience with that. So it's kind of sharing things like that, you know, working with agencies, um, how to build a culture in an early stage startup. Um, for me, a personal one, you know, how to stay organized as a person who thrives in chaos. I am chaotic. I'm like the typical founder that will absolutely burn everything to the ground and you know it's i've it's just my brain is a mess and mm -hmm. i had to bring in really talented people on the complete opposite spectrum really organized individuals yeah. to help balance that out and it's like all of these things that i thought were really important that i wish were being taught to me along the way but i just had to learn the hard way i'm like yo this is what it's for so that's why you know called it true founder obviously a play on true local um mm -hmm. 
And uh, that's where I came from. And even now, actually, you know, I appreciate it, but I think your listeners are probably like this, but we think about like, how do you market the book? And for me, I was just telling you about this. Look, like you go look me up on social, you'll see, like, I'm not big into, I don't have a huge social media presence. I have no interest in um, spending a ton of time kind of posting content. I'm just not good at yeah. it. It's not what I do. I'm a founder. I do. I love business. I love building. I love promoting the products of my business, but I've always struggled sort of promoting my own stuff. So when it came time to do the book, what do you, like, all you really have to sell is your face, right? So we were going through it. And of course we tried to do the whole thing. We tried to do all of it, you know, okay, well, I'll post more on Instagram. Mm, it just, it didn't I, I, absolutely. Like if I was telling someone, I'm like, you're just being lazy at this and you're not, and I'm like, I accept it. Like, I'm just yeah. not doing it the way mm -hmm. I'm supposed to. It, it's the opposite of what I want to do. And yep. I'm just in a position right now where if I, if I hate what I'm doing, why am I doing it? So we did the TikTok thing, did a hundred yep. TikTok videos. Hated, I hated it. I hated it. Quality yep. was good. Like they were fine, but I'm just like, this is not me. So not for me. we're like, oh my God, <laughs> it doesn't light me up at all. It, it's, it's actually even the opposite because even with True Local, like I always say True Local, the day to day doesn't light me up, but it was a purpose and it was for the greater good from what yeah. I wanted to achieve. So I did it. This like took from me. This was like, I'm taking mm -hmm. parts of my soul. And so it's crazy. So of course the book comes out in a month and we're like, how are we promoting this book? So I was yep. like, well, look, what, why don't we do a giveaway? And I'm like, okay, giveaways are cringy, but they work really well. And yeah. I'm like, okay, well, why are giveaways cringy? And it's because they're so transactional and they're so cheap. Like they don't actually speak to, uh, you know, what is it? You give me these, this attention and yeah. I will give you this random product. So I was like, okay, there's something there in the sense of giveaway creating excitement, but how can we do it where it's like really, mm -hmm. really specific and it's just this good initiative. So we came up with like, why don't we do a big giveaway, like a real big grand prize? And we're like, okay, so what's it going to be? And I'm like, well, the book is for first time founders. You know, I'm a founder. So what, what do I want? Like, what would make me the happiest person in the world? And we went through all of it. We're like, oh, this like tech package, AirPods, yeah. MacBook Pro, maybe yeah. a vacation. And I'm like, that's all great stuff. Don't get it twisted. I would love that. But as a founder in the trenches, that's not helping me. And I was like, well, what I would want is I would want something that's actually going to help my business. And that's where the idea of the ultimate first time founder giveaway came from, which is pretty much, we went and worked with some of the greatest agencies, everything from, you know, Facebook, Google ads, SEO, uh, PR, video creation, and they've all put a credit together so that we could use that to promote the book. And it's a giveaway where if you submit a two minute video, then you have the ability to win like, I think it's like $65,000 worth of agency credits wow. to grow your business. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was like, that makes perfect sense. It's in line with the book. It's what the book is all about. And now if I was a founder, I'd be like, whoa, I can get almost $70,000 to help grow my business in, in agency yeah. credits. So that like all, all of that whole thing kind of just came together as this like unique experience of writing and then creating and promoting a book. And that's pretty much what's been taking up most of my time for the past, you know, year and a bit. Yeah. I can only imagine just the amount of labor that goes into writing and then editing and now promoting. And I think what you say around the fact that, you know, Instagram and TikTok, they just weren't your thing. It's so refreshing to hear that because people need to be reminded that marketing is energy. And if your energy is not there when it comes to social media, your community probably feels that, right? So it's like, okay, maybe I put a pause on those two platforms, but where can I create energy? And for you, you're talking about this giveaway package you put together and it lit you up. You're like, this would be so epic. I wish I would have won that. And that is energy. And people would say, oh, is that really enough to launch a book? Of course, because if you put a shit ton of energy behind it, that could be your one and only launch strategy and it could knock it out of the park, right? So I think it's just an important reminder. It's like, you don't have to show up all the places if that type of output is truly dreadful, you know? <laughs> totally. And I think like, look, like, you know, the path of least resistance is real. Like it's amazing to be able to build audiences on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Um, it's there, it's real. It's way better that it exists than it doesn't. And yep. if you can take advantage of it, you should, but you don't have to, like there are other ways. And I think that that's a big thing that a lot of people force themselves to do it, which they should. At the end of the day, if it's an opportunity, you should at least try it. And if it's something that's bearable for you and it's not taking your energy, like it'll take energy to actually do the work. But if it's not like crushing your soul, 
then yeah, do it as part of the discipline of, you know, building your brand and getting to where you want to go. But it's also, there's other ways. Like you don't have to do that just because it's the easiest and most normal way nowadays. And it literally, it took me, yeah, a year and a half to actually understand that. And that's after five years of building a company up to, you know, 60 employees. Like we, I thought I like, I, I know marketing, don't stress about it. And even then, you know, you're still learning and it's just like, okay, I know marketing, but you know, this yeah. is something that it just didn't work for me. So yeah, we'll see at the end, uh, at the end of it, how it turns out, but it's interesting now. And there's so many crazy new things coming out and different ways to build these audiences. And I don't, I don't know, but I don't think that social media has the same power that it used to. Like, mm -hmm. I think that people are starting to realize that it probably is a bad thing that the single biggest social status symbol is, you know, putting on, you know, your grandma's underwear and eating a Tide Pod and going viral on TikTok. Like that's almost like what everybody aspires oh, to. Like God. that to me is kind of weird. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think it's good that people are finding other ways to either connect with their audience or promote their products or build businesses. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> the state of our world a little bit scary. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's, it is. It really is. Aside from writing the book and now promoting it, what else is lighting you up now that you're officially finished at True Local? Is there something that you are investing time or money or energy in upgrading skill sets? Is it more personal stuff that you're working on right now? What is creating energy in Mark's life? Yeah. So like, if you want to talk about the, like business is wild. Like the world right now is crazy. You know, I spent a year and a half going really deep down the web three rabbit hole. So, oh, yes. you know, forget, forget forget speculative crypto and $500,000 NFTs, like more like trying to actually understand the technology and, and the use cases of it. Um, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, the easiest way to understand it is that, you know, the same way that internet is not email, email is not the internet, you know, email is enabled by the internet is very similar to when you look at NFTs and Bitcoin and then blockchain, hmm. you know, so NFTs and Bitcoin are not blockchain. None of the cryptocurrencies are blockchain. They are just use cases that are enabled by the technology. And similarly, NFTs, this idea of a non-fungible token is not a $500,000 monkey image. That is a use case for NFTs, yeah. but there is way more powerful um, uses for that technology. And I get really excited about that stuff. So I would say like, I've spent a lot of my time diving into there. Like I, I literally am talking at, at web three conferences cool. and that's something that I really hope that my next thing involves some sort of web three tooling. So yeah. that's exciting. Um, something I don't know a lot about, but obviously is mind boggling is chat GPT. Um, I use it daily. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've, <laughs> Yeah, you know, luckily, once again, LinkedIn has been amazing. You, if you you could spend one day on LinkedIn and become a moderate uh, chat GPT user, just from all the carousels that are going out there, super exciting. I say I don't know a lot about it because I don't know anything about AI outside of using it. Um, so I wouldn't consider myself being able to speak educated, but it, it's fundamentally changing everything, you know, like literally everything. And the whole idea is, you know, people are saying that it's going to replace jobs and this and that. Well, yeah, but at the same time, the same way social media, like when I, I grew up in the age of social media managers, right? So in yeah. 2015, 2016, we were on social media. So we knew how to use it, but businesses still hadn't figured it out. Yep. And we were like these rock stars, like, yeah. you know, you can make a Facebook page, right? And they're like, Whoa, oh my God, mind blowing. Um, and what, what does that mean? Did social media and paid advertising replace TV and replace all this? No, it didn't, but it, it definitely shifted the the yeah. allocation of, of resources. So to me, it's like, yes, you know, if you're a copywriter, you're probably in trouble or you become the absolute best at using chat GPT to do copywriting. Yeah. So instead of looking at it where it's like, oh my God, all these copywriters and journalists and newsletters and social media managers and marketing copywriters are going to get replaced. I don't think that's the case. I think the idea is that the fact that you have one person writing four articles a day, um, being a full-time job, I think you can probably keep your job if you're the person who now writes no articles, but you're the absolute best at chat GPT prompts. Yep. And now you're coming up with 30 articles a day, 50, you know, listicles and, you know, a uh, hundred tweets by using mm -hmm. chat GPT in the same amount of time you're laughing. So I yeah. think that's kind of what it is, is like, stop being scared of the tech. It's not going anywhere. You, you're screwed. If you, if you try to run from it, just get good at using it. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, super exciting. And I wish I could dedicate more time to it. 
Yeah. Um, on the personal level, like what's giving me energy, like I'm driving race cars, yeah. you know, like, I'm, I'm a race car driver now. So that's uh, like, God, that that's just the happiest I've ever been. And I, it's, you know, it's all you just drive race cars. Where do <laughs> you, you do that? Because like that. in Ontario right now, it is crappy weather. Like, are you traveling the globe to do this? Or does this happen somewhere locally? Yeah, not the globe, but definitely North America. So I, uh, so crazy story. So I'll give you the quick, quick background on how this all started. So I never had a car growing up. My mom, um, we just didn't have a whole lot of money. My mom always worked her ass off to give us everything. And we weren't like, we weren't broke or anything, but we didn't live in like a nice area of town. And my mom was always my biggest supporter and everything, but we just didn't have a car growing up. Hmm. And, um, I just, between high school and university became obsessed. I was, I was a car guy. Like I loved, I knew everything about every car. I'd watch every car review, you know, I'd watch every car show, top gear, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. fall in love with cars. And then I think that naturally, as you become obsessed over something, it just grows and grows and grows. So it was, became more than just wanting to own one. It became, oh my God, like, I want to, I want to like race these things. Like I want to take this car that they claim to have all this all like everything from the horsepower to the to the traction control all these all these different types of things and I want to actually put them on on the track and see how these things operate so I'd always said that as soon as I ever had the means I was going to make a real go at trying to drive race cars so when the company sold I made a promise to myself that that summer I was going to go buy a car and I was going to go spend as much time at the track as possible like literally every possible opportunity I have to get behind the wheel I'm going to take it and then at the end of my first summer driving, if I was progressing faster than other people in their first year, because I was 31 at the time, um, and these kids are driving since they're like nine. So yeah. the, the, like it's just such a huge curve. But if someone coming in in their first year, if I'm going to progress faster than, than they normally would, then I'll go yep. racing the next year. Cool. And so we did it. And the first year we were moving, moving quick and moving well. And I told, it's funny because I, I have a post where I'm like, you know, it feels good to be an underdog again. But um everyone at the track was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you can, you can race next year, but you should really do this like local club racing. Like that's, that's your next level. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to develop fast enough doing that. So I'm like, I want to jump in like, let me go into the deep end and go to the regional racing here in Ontario, which is, you know, a higher level racing. It's like pretty much your semi-pro kind of series. Anyway, did that this past year and we actually won the whole championship, which is like insane. Super excited about that. We had an underpower car too. And now this upcoming year, um, I'm actually gonna be racing in the pro series. So, which is the FEL series. So we race uh, in Ontario and Quebec. Um, We race at the Toronto Indy, which anybody who loves racing loves the Toronto Indy. Anybody who lives downtown Toronto hates the Toronto Indy (laughs) because that's that's the one where they shut down the streets um so I love it it's awesome like I'm driving you know this past year I drove a 2004 uh, BMW M3 now I'm driving a factory built Mercedes AMG GT4 race car like it's sick like this is like going right over my head by the way but I know I know listeners are like yeah I know that car (laughs) that's what I was I'm always just like I know that there are some people out there who are just like I get it long story short they're really cool race cars and yes um I in the winter we'll go down to Florida to Texas to do testing because we can't do a whole lot here. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really become a, a big part of my life. And I realized that once the company sold, I always thought that I was the type of guy that wanted to work on like a million different projects because you, you have been so myopically focused on one thing. It was only true local. There was literally nothing else in my life. Um, and I thought that coming out of it, it was, oh my God, now I can spend Monday working on this project, Tuesday working on this project, third, you know, Wednesday working with those people. And actually that ended up not working out for me at all. Um, it made me appreciate how much I, I really loved being focused on something. Yes, I think yeah. though coming out, it's about taking the things that you learn and making them a little bit better. So I don't want to ever go back to this thing where only one thing consumes my whole life. So what yeah. I did realize is that I like 70, 15 and 15. So I like having a main thing. I like having something that's mine. That's my baby that I'm investing in and that it really is priority number one. But I like to have two other things that are 15% way, way in the back seat, but that, you know, hone my skills in a certain way, bring me happiness, whatever it might be. So example would have been like, let's just say if it was true local, be like true local race car driving and the book. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Now those are, that's where my energy is being used and that's the split. So 
now I'm just happy that with racing, it's something that makes me happy, but it's also this, like, there's a huge business behind racing and, and all this stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been, it's been pretty interesting for sure. So I will, you don't know anything about cars, but I'll have you come out to one of the races and, uh, we'll show you how this side lives. That's perfect. Yeah. If we want to talk bikes, I can talk all day, like <laughs> cycling, but cars, I'm like, Oh, I, I really need to brush up, but it's so cool to hear you talk about these new hobbies and projects that you're working on. And the fact that, you know, it's not over when your company gets acquired, like there's still so much in you that is lit up and that you're excited for. And um, congratulations on the book. I'm excited to read from start to finish. The first chapter was engaging. I got through it very quickly. I loved the stories you were telling. So uh, if the listeners want to get a copy of True Founder, Tell us all the places that we can find it and also just where to connect with you as an individual and to follow along where you're going to be in the next few years. For sure. Yeah. So um, in terms of the book, pre-sales are on now. So you can just go to marklafleur.com, M-A-R-C-L-A-F-L-E-U-R.com and you'll find it there. Um, pretty much like all of my, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Instagram, like it's kind of book focused right now. So my Instagram is dark mark underscore so d-a-r-k-m-a-r-c underscore um and uh yeah like honestly i'm, I'm super excited like, really excited to be connecting with people in general obviously the the community of exited canadian founders is fairly small in the grand scheme of things and when i was building true local so many i reached out to so many people just to be like listen man like i'm in the trenches like just what what did you do in this scenario or what do you think and yeah. I was surprising how many people responded. So I love to just let anybody know that if anybody's out there doing this type of thing, please yeah. reach out because I've probably been through what you're going through and would be happy to share experiences. So yeah, you can hit me on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, my website, uh, whatever works. Um, but yeah, you can, you can catch me. A very generous offer. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time. And we are so excited to read the book and wish you all of the success as you continue on this new chapter. So thanks again for being here and we hope you have the best rest of your week. Visionary, I know you, you're a health nut and you wanna save money on the brands you love. Well, Healthy Planet is your one-stop shop for all things healthy. They have everything from gluten-free snacks to non-toxic beauty products to supplements that are gonna help you focus during the workday and they deliver straight to your doorstep. Being healthy has never been easier, more affordable or more convenient than this. So shop with Healthy Planet today and get 10% off your first order of $50 or more by using the code visionary 2022 at checkout that's visionary 2022 at checkout so start saving today by heading to healthyplanetcanada.com and use the code visionary 2022 at checkout Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show on either iTunes or Spotify. It just takes a second. And if you don't want to rate the show, you could also just take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your social media platform of choice, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode.